Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 6. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to your people. Thank you for gathering us together again. Thank you that we have the scriptures and even in our own language. Oh Lord, thank you for that. We pray that you'd help us as we study. Our desire is to know what your thoughts are. Our desire is to think about them after you've given them to us. And to understand how that helps us. And how we can be more obedient and love you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last time we looked at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. If you remember, let's catch up. The leaders, the Sadducees, the high priest, they were enraged at the preaching of the gospel. Very angry. And angry enough to have them killed, even. They're wicked leaders. They always resist the Holy Spirit and refuse to believe the truth. And we discussed this. They prefer to believe the lie that God will accept them because they're Jews, regardless of what's in their hearts. And listen, that is a lie. God's people are people of faith. And we discussed that, right? When the circumcised Jew is wicked, doesn't his circumcision become uncircumcision? Well, the flesh doesn't go back onto his body. The point is, God will not regard him as his child. They want to kill the apostles. Why? Because they did a good deed to a crippled man and because they preached forgiveness in Jesus. And because they spoke the truth about who killed him. Remember the apostles? You killed him. We're not sure what would have happened, but a wise Pharisee named Gamaliel talks them down from committing murder. He convinces them, you remember? Let's take a wait-and-see approach. If God is really with them, you can't defeat God. And if He's not with them, well, we've seen that happen in the past, right? Various people pop up. We know God's not with them because it failed. Let's wait and see. And so they decide to take His advice. And, you know, such good guys, they refrain from murdering them. And they're set free, but not before being beaten and told, stop preaching in this name of Jesus. And they do not stop. They rejoice that they are beaten and counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of Jesus. And you remember we had a discussion, which I think is worth repeating, about theology of suffering. The main point is is that 
God is light. And the spiritual forces of evil that dwell in heavenly places are dark and black. And there is a struggle that will not cease until Jesus returns. And why is there Christian suffering? Because of the struggle of light and dark. It's at work at all times. But Christians will win in the struggle. Not by their own power. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb. What's, what's a Christian to do? Offer your life as a living sacrifice. That's what you're to do. But they rejoiced that they were worthy to be dishonored. Verse 42 of chapter 5, they did not cease preaching. If you remember, they said, we fear God more than you. His command is higher than your command. And then we went into the beginning of chapter 6. We discussed two offices in the church, elders and deacons. Seems to be the first early example of what would later be called deacons. A physical serving office. And then we are told at the end of verse 7, or in, in verse 7, the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The church is sharing and distributing and blessing the people, witnessing about the truthfulness of Jesus' resurrection. According to the will of God, people are being added all the time. You could say the church had gone viral. I mean, you know, you go from a few followers to 3,000 in one day. Wow, that's a movement, right? Well, let's go to today's text. Well, there's not a good place to stop coming up here. We're just going to choose somewhere to stop. And it's going to be verse 16 of um, chapter 7. But let's start in verse 8 of chapter 6. And Stephen full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from um, Silica and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. 
And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his death, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. Verse 9, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him, and rescued him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction. And our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, and he and our fathers and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had brought for a sum of had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. Amen. May God bless his word. You can see it's not the greatest time to stop, but we can't get through this. This is a long long message that Stephen has. But let's go back to verse 8 of chapter 6. Stephen was used greatly by God, right? He seems, he, he was one of the first deacons, the first one named, and the Bible says, full of um, faith. He was full of faith. Verse 5 of chapter 6. What they had said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Again, in verse 8, we are told, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen seems to have had a hybrid role, right? He's not an apostle. Seems to be the first, at least the first one mentioned, who non-apostle doing signs and wonders. 
but he's also one of the ones that was put in charge of feeding the widows. He, I mean, seems to be a, a good man, and God's working in him. Full. If you describe somebody as being full of faith, that is a commendation, isn't it? Oh, Stephen, he is full of faith. I, I wish. Don't you wish people could describe you that way? She's full of faith. This man, Stephen, is doing signs and wonders. And what we see, which I mentioned to you at the beginning of this study, there's a pattern that happens over and over. The Word of God is preached, opposition arises, and God works anyway. And here we have opposition again. They disputed him, some of those who belonged to the synagogue of freedmen. This is interesting. So Jews that had formerly been slaves and then freed set up their own synagogues. And these others, it seems to be Jews who had been slaves, Jews that were from Africa, and Jews from the north, which was probably modern-day Turkey area. The diaspora, or however you say that word, they rise up against him to dispute him. In verse 10, we are told they could not win. They could not withstand the wisdom and spirit in which he was speaking. Why not? Why couldn't they overcome him? Because he was full of God's grace and power. Verse 8, Stephen, full of grace and power. Not his power, God's power. They can't defeat him. He's too wise for them. God is blessing his mouth. Verse 11 through 14, so they can't win, so they lied about him. They wanted to just defeat him, but they could not withstand him. They lost. Okay, well, let's bring up some false accusations. That guy never ceases to badmouth Moses and the law. Do you think that's what Stephen did? Come on. Full of faith? No way. They're lying. Verse 15 is very interesting. I mean, we can think about how they're lying, but... We have heard him, verse 11, speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people and the elders and scribes, and they came upon him and seized him. This is, this, this seizing, listen, that's not a word that, that conjures up gentleness in your mind. They seized him to grab to take hold. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never, this is verse 13, never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. We've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. You know, there's some truth in what they're saying. Jesus is bringing in the new covenant. 
And it's no longer about the temple. The temple is not the place where God is. The people are the temple. God will live inside of them and he will be worshipped in all places, not just at the temple. So part of what they're accusing him of, you know, they're twisting the way he said it. He's not blaspheming Moses and God. But he's working in accordance with God's will. It is God's will for Christians to preach the gospel and to speak the truth. God is changing. It's always been about faith, but it's a, it definitely is a new thing that God is doing, at least as it relates to um, the wideness of it. Right? Was the Old Covenant exclusive of Gentiles? Well, no, there are some provisions, but you couldn't be a full Jew coming in as a Gentile. There's a place, though, yeah, you could approach God, but in the New Covenant, all those barriers are destroyed. It matters not what country, what DNA you have. It matters not if you're a man or a woman. Both full access at all times, no matter where you are. Listen, this is, this is not what the Jews would have expected. You mean the temple's not going to be important anymore? They've, they've centered their whole religion around worship at this temple. Verse 15, gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is interesting to me. I'm not sure if this is what it's saying. It seems to be. Is this what happened to Moses? Do you remember this? I'm not sure if if the text is trying to say that, that Stephen's face was shining. But Moses, if you remember, when he came down from Mount Sinai with the tablets after having been with God, quote, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Exodus 34, 29. If you remember, the people were afraid to even approach him at first because his face was glowing, shining, whatever it was, not normal, right? Supernatural. And if you remember, Moses took to wearing a veil because it was people wouldn't approach him. And he would take it off when he would go to speak with God. And when he would come back out, he'd put the veil back on. If y'all need a refresher on that, look it up. Exodus 34. Is that what happened to Stephen? Something changed about his appearance while he was being questioned and while he was testifying. They perceived that his face was like the face of an angel. I don't think this is what we say. Oh, look at that little angel. That's not the same thing. You know, when normally when angels are seen in the scriptures, fear it accompanies it almost every single time. They're watching Stephen, hearing him, thinking his face looks like the face of an angel. 
I, I don't know what that means exactly. But something changed about his appearance. And you could tell that God was with him. Not just from his words, from his appearance. But the people didn't fear Stephen like they feared Moses. When his face shone, they feared Moses. Stephen, they, they don't mind making up false accusations against him. And actually, now that I think about it, it's not that different from Moses. The people often disputed with him and re- resisted God's work through Moses. And I think that's what we're going to spend most of our time on for the rest of this study today, 1 through 16. Stephen preaches to them brilliantly, in my opinion, in this, in this section. God's working in him. He is full of faith. He is full of God's grace and power. And he is preaching a very good lesson. And what he's going to show them is that God often worked outside of the temple. All throughout the scriptures. Often worked with very important people in the history of Israel that had nothing to do with the temple. And outside of Jerusalem. And that what Stephen is going to prove to them is they're the ones who is missing what God's been doing. They're missing it. And he starts off with a discussion of Abraham. He says, Abraham, there were no Jews. God called Abraham and turned him into a Jew. Basic, right? And God promises him I mean, we call him the father of the faith. But he wasn't a man who was in Jerusalem and served God, worshiped God in the temple. Abraham never stepped foot in there. And of the land that was promised, Abraham never saw any of it. But he still believed God. Even when God promised him as a very old man and his wife a very old woman. Past the childbearing age and her being barren anyway before that. God promised that they would have a son and that God would bless the nations through the son and that they would enter the promised land. But Abraham didn't go there. He never entered it. He was a man of faith outside of Jerusalem. Outside of the temple. Right? The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham. Verse 3, Go out from your land and from your kindred. Go into the land I'll show you. Verse 5, yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him. It seems to be the same now that God's people live in a land as sojourners. And the land that they're in is actually not the land that they're looking for. As they're wandering around in the wilderness, 
That's not the land they're looking for. If it were, they could have just settled there. They weren't looking for that land. Why would you stay there? That's not the land flowing with milk and honey. And Christian, we're sojourners, aren't we? Is this your home? I hope that you consider your citizenship to be that the way Paul considers his Roman citizenship. When it's useful to me, I'm an American. You can't treat me like this. But when it's not useful, it makes no difference at all. We are king, we are part of the kingdom of God. Right? It's way better in America. Come on. People need to open their eyes and think about this. There's been other countries with more power and influence than there will be after. But none of those can surpass the kingdom of God. There's no crying there. You show me what earthly kingdom has no crying No sadness, no sickness, no death. There's no kingdom like that on the earth. Abraham was a sojourner. He never entered the promised land. So that's Stephen's first point is... Why, why is it such a big deal to you that God might be working outside of Jerusalem? That the gospel might be more than just this small place. Think about the fathers of the faith. They were from outside of Jerusalem. And then he brings up that it's a pattern in Scripture that the Israelites reject those who are sent to help them. Even their own brothers who God purposes to use. They contend with them. They often did, right? With Moses and the prophets. Jesus brought this up. Which one of the prophets did you not stone and kill? Later, as Israel thinks about Isaiah, they admire him, but not while the generation of his peers were with him. The prophets often brought news that was difficult to take. The reason all this bad stuff is happening is because of you. Who wants to hear that message? Well, the righteous want to hear the truth. So Stephen brings up, well, verse 8. He gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. You know, he's reminding them some history. Verse 9, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. So in the history of 
Israel, Joseph is, has to be a high figure, right? I mean, he's a, he's a pre-incarnate version of Jesus. Or a shadow of Jesus. Pre-incarnate, that's incorrect. A shadow of Jesus. They are in a desperate situation and cannot help. And someone who is cast off becomes their savior. But they sold him into slavery because they were jealous of him. He told them that he had a dream and God was going to use him. And they were jealous of him. And decided to get rid of him. Again, right? They, they intended to murder him. And they are convinced, let's not murder him, let's just throw him in a pit. Well, actually, let's sell him. Right? So gracious of them to restrain from murdering him. God meant it for good. That's from his own mouth, right? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. All the stuff that you've done to me. What Stephen is doing is he's going to say, this is what you're doing with Jesus. This is what you're doing. You're resisting God's work. You were jealous of him. That's why you killed him. But God meant it for good, even though you meant it for evil. God chooses people, often in the scripture, to be leaders, and the people reject them. But what Stephen's trying to get to is be wise. Don't be like the patriarchs who were jealous and sold their brother into slavery. Can you see God's blessing the people? Look at the host of people who are being saved. Look at the wisdom and the power of God that's being revealed. Look at the signs and wonders that have even happened by Stephen's own hand. Look at the way my face is shining like an angel. God is working a new thing like he did with Abraham. Like he did with Moses. And what Stephen is going to get to is this pattern again and again and again of the people being blessed by God with leaders and the people rejecting it, ultimately. Right? While Moses is on the mount... Receiving instructions from God on how to teach the people how to live, they are fashioning an idol at the very moment. Who knows what happened to him? He's probably dead up there. Let's make our own gods. This is again and again and again. Truly, the human heart is an idol factory. And it's not just the Jews that were susceptible to it. 
It's not just the people of Jesus' time that were susceptible to it. You are susceptible to it. If the struggle of the Christian life is a struggle of light and dark, of the spirit and the flesh, of God and the devil, if you are still in your body, surely there is an idolatry battle going on. Whether you acknowledge it or not, it matters not. It is happening. What is it? What's the idol in your heart? Or idols? Part of the reason why Christians tell new Christians, you should have a quiet time. And this became kind of a cliche statement, but it's true. Pray. Sit in quietness and ask God to show you where the idols are that you can destroy them. That you can forsake them. That you can see them coming before they get there and and turn away, right? The wise man sees the danger and flees. This is why we tell all Christians, read your Bible. Something will happen when you read your Bible if you continue to do it again and again. And unless you're a lunatic, you can't continue going your own way while praying and reading the Scriptures daily. Lord, show me your way. If you have serious mental problems, maybe you can maintain that, those two positions at the same time. Personally, I cannot. If I'm in a, a stiff-necked way, I tend to stop reading. I can't take it, the hypocrisy. This is why, though, it is so good to remind us again and again, read the Scriptures. Faith comes by hearing. Can you hear with your ear when you read? Of course you can. Of course you can. Verse 13, on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. What What he's bringing up here is, even though they rejected him, he was God's man, and God was going to bless a lot of people through him. Verse 14, Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for some of silver. I mean, eventually we see what happened. Through Joseph, God blessed the people, they grew to be a large host, not just 75 people that escaped from famine. More numerous than the Egyptians even. This is the whole reason why the, the edict is um, sent out to kill the boys. There's too many people. Pharaoh understands, pretty soon we're going to be the slaves if we don't do something about this. They're, way, they're growing fast. 
And that's because God was blessing them and, and turning them into a nation. We see that verse 17, if we read ahead just a little. As the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. We'll, we'll read through there. This is a long, this is a long lesson from Stephen. Basically, the whole chapter, well, fifty-three verses, is this message. So we'll get to the rest of it next time. But listen, see what was there today. Don't reject. Jesus, he's God's man. He's blessing the world through him. If you do, you'll be like the people who fell in the wilderness because they wouldn't believe what God had promised them. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your kindness in showing us the gospel. We thank you that... We don't even know how many generations of Christians have discipled another and then another and then another and another all the way until the gospel reached us in our generation, in our time. Thank you for using them and bringing the word of Jesus to us. We pray that we would see these things in the scriptures where people work against your plan And we would reject that way. And we would follow the path of the righteous who um, hear and obey. Father, we ask you to bless us today the rest of our time together. That we would grow in our faith. That we would grow in love for one another. Please help us. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.